Welcome to Musician's Life Podcast. This podcast features interviews with a diverse group of musicians in different fields of the music industry, and my intent is that the audience will gain something from each guest story. This episode features my conversation with Joe Giese. Joe is a Los Angeles-based guitarist best known for his work with the Click Five. He's also worked as a sideman with Miranda Cosgrove, Sky Ferreira, Alberta Cross, and Daniel Johnson. He is currently working with his new project, Grand Canyon. I sat down with Joe last August at his home in the Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Here's my conversation with Joe Giese. Joe Giese, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's start with some basic biographical information. Where'd you grow up, man? Denver. Denver, Colorado. And uh, what's going on out there, man? Were your parents musical? No. Uh, they weren't, but uh, parts of my family were very musical. Like my great-grandfather was like a Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. Character, okay, from the uh, upper Midwest, from mm-hmm. Toledo, Ohio, and he was like a troubadour type. Hmm. I actually have his guitar. Oh, cool! Is that that old Martin? Is it's there an a old Gibson? Gibson? It's a Gibson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a that he bought used in 1947. Wow! It's a 39 Gibson L and he was like a he was like a real like I said Woody Guthrie kind of. Mm-hmm. traveling troubadour never had a real job in his life right wrote songs it was part of the great migration from the midwest out to california mm-hmm. where he picked strawberries for three cents a day and mm-hmm. that whole sort of thing yeah so are there any recordings of him at all that you're aware of no but there were a bunch of songs that he'd written yeah um like in a notebook somewhere and my great aunt, his daughter, her place caught on fire and everything yeah, burned down. We but might. the guitar is still there. Guitar is so. still there. Okay. Um, so, so do you have any brothers or sisters at all? I have three sisters and a brother. And do they play music at all? No. No? Okay. So, so you're, the, you're the one. Yeah. Um, so what was your first instrument? piano technically yeah so when did you start playing piano i guess my mom signed me up for lessons probably when i was five or six and i yeah. took them for i don't know a couple of years and then lost interest yeah and then got into playing the guitar okay and maybe around the age of like 11 or 12 yeah and uh then i eventually got back into playing piano okay so did you give up the piano when you started playing guitar I wasn't playing anything. Okay. But uh, randomly, my mom, one Easter, bought me Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Okay. For Easter? Yeah. Yeah. Randomly. Cool. I, I have no idea why. To yeah. Say. It was like uh, just out of the blue. And we would always take a like a short spring break road trip around Colorado or New Mexico or the kind of southwest and yeah. i didn't know anything about sergeant pepper mm-hmm. i remember putting it on the disc man on the drive to santa fe mm-hmm. and uh 
just being blown away song after song and yeah that changed everything so that was like the first that was the moment aha moment yeah everything so everything was ruined so <laughs> it's all downhill from there yeah so were your parents were they playing like other music like your mom obviously gave you this like classic album were they playing music in the house at all that like i mean a lot of your typical kind of 70s folky mm-hmm. gordon lightfoot uh you know john denver mm-hmm. simon garfunkel mm-hmm. which i love yeah to this day yeah so but I mean, like they—I wouldn't say they pushed anything on me. Like, right. And like the whole Beatle thing, I don't really remember listening to a lot of Beatles growing up. It right. wasn't until I got really into it that. So when would you say you got really into it? Like when you got that on that road trip, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. yeah. So what? Like how old were you then? It's Twelve. I think, Twelve. Okay. Cool. 12, so like yeah. middle school, like going it's into like, high school. Yeah. yeah. No, I was like, would have been sixth grade, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Middle school. Um. So, were you participating in, like, the public school music programs at all at your school? I went to Catholic school. You went to Catholic school? Yeah. Plot thickens, Joe, you see. (laughs) I have another stupid question. I'll edit this out later. Uh, Is John Denver from Denver? No. Okay, cool. I want to get that squared away. name isn't... John Denver? John Dusseldorf. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. But Rocky Mountain High is uh the official state song of colorado now like it was voted a couple years ago and there's a similar push in west virginia to have country roads take me home Hmm. be the state song of west virginia so this is where politicians can come together and like really rally around something important (laughs) cool so you have a copy of sergeant pepper you're 12 or 13 years old you're playing some guitar like do you have a t- is somebody helping you with the guitar? Or you have a teacher or anything? Or oddly enough, let's tie this back to John Denver. Yeah. Um, my first guitar teacher was this guy Mike Crowley, who was in John Denver's band. Oh wow, cool! And taught John Denver how to finger pick. Mm, wow. Uh, and he was like a local singer songwriter and amazing guy, like mm-hmm. great, great singer, great, great kind of guitar player, like could accompany himself with like finger picking and right. stuff like that. And, yeah. Um, so when did you start studying with him? I mean, probably shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Like I think some random, like it was a recommendation to right. go take lessons from this guy, Mike Crowley. Yeah. Acoustic music revival. Cool. <laughs> was the name of the place. Was this, was this like a guitar shop or something? Strictly acoustic. Strictly yeah. acoustic. Cool. So, uh, so you went to Catholic school. So, was there like a music program happening there, or not so much? Not really. I mean, mm-hmm. there was. I remember in middle school playing for like, you know, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, like being in the being in the pit band, the or, pit band, right. quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, and then high school, I went to a real sports centric high school. Okay. So, there was a band, but it wasn't... It wasn't something you participated in, per se? No, I did. Okay. But it, you know, I mean, I was always kind of more interested in starting my own band. Sure, So, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the first... The Starting a band was always yeah always the goal. On your mind, yeah. yeah. So, when did you start your first band? 
probably like seventh grade. Okay. You know, and it was like a couple kids that I was friends with. And right. It's like, you're going to be the drummer. Right. You're going to be the bass player. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and so what were you playing? Were you playing Beatles tunes? Were you playing like Nirvana? What kind of tunes were you guys playing? Um, yeah, mostly covers. Our first gig was a World Youth Day benefit, mm-hmm. which I don't know. That's like a big Catholic okay. uh, thing or event. Like a, yeah, for Catholic youths of the world or whatever. Yeah. And we had, it was like a, we played like three or four sets, like just insanity. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sure it was awful, but it right. was all, yeah, playing Beatles and Bob Dylan and Cool. All the so so. How long classics. did you did you play with this band? Did you play through high school throughout high school or? Um, yeah, I guess that kind of that was the the start of it. Um, you know, like in seventh grade, like playing in my friend Woody's garage mm-hmm. with no drum kit. You know, like plastic buckets as a drum kit. Mm-hmm. Before we actually got a drum kit, got the real thing. Yeah, sure. And that kind of morphed into the the high school band. Um, right or kind of the better elements yeah continued on continued on into into high school school. yeah and then we caught we kept we kept it together through high school um you know which now looking back on it seems so weird there was a there was a bar near my high school called monahan's Mm -hmm. and they I, i still can't believe they let us do this but like we would they let us have shows there because it was like the booster bar for the football team. Okay. So we're like the booster club men. Right. And which is all, it was also like the second or third oldest bar in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd go play there. We'd put flyers up all around the school, mm-hmm. come to Monaghan's this Saturday night. <laughs> nice. And no one seemed to, I have no idea why people weren't like, yeah. why are all these kids going to going a bar? To the bar? I mean, yeah. maybe it's just a lot of Irish Catholic kids. and Sure drinking is just acceptable or something i don't know so that was that like your your first like gig gig would you say was playing there yeah yeah i mean and boy we got i remember you know like maybe after our first show there because like it was probably dead bar and all of a sudden all these kids and their parents show up right i remember the the owner of the bar this guy niles um you know, handed us like a wad of cash. Of, like, it was like five hundred bucks. Yeah, and we were just like, what? yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool, man. I remember like in high school, Matt Pin and I had a band. Yeah, and we played at Union Union Groove. Yeah, and yeah. we played at Toad's place. Like we had played there a handful of times opening, and then they let us headline at once, and they really set it up well. So it was the Thursday night before April vacation, and they made it all ages, and like we promoted it a lot, and like. We had a pretty big draw. And I remember after the gig, like downstairs, like in the business office, Matt and I went in there and the guy gave us like 1200 bucks or something. Yeah. We were like, what are we going to do with all this money? <laughs> but uh, anyway, we obviously spent it in the studio. But um, gosh, I don't Who knows what happened to that 500 bucks? <laughs> we probably bought a bass amp or something. There you go. Maybe some real yeah. drums. We but, had uh, real drums. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, so. Noble and Coolies. Did you really? Our drummer's dad was a was like a was radiologist it? and a drummer oh, by so night so there you go man that's no we were, we were right no one coolies they're great man yeah i have a, i have a set of no one coolies and they're just like 
At this point, they're like a little bit dated, but they're kind of like driving. Oh, they're around definitely like, yeah, they're not cool but, anymore. But it's like I like yeah. to say like they're like the Irock Z of drums. Like if you're really like driving around like and you're like killing it, like they're awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, uh, now I wouldn't be like, oh yeah. But actually, like I'm playing in um Brian King's band Parks now. Yeah. And like I'm using them on that. Uh-huh. And it, they sound fucking amazing. Yeah. It sounds like a mix of like Fleetwood Mac and like, it's like just a little bit more like, it's like if Fleetwood Mac and like Sting's drummers, like tone wise met there. It's yeah, yeah. pretty nice. But anyway, enough about normal Cooley drums. Side note, uh, this will not be in the, I'll edit this out, but they were, um, the, the, they made all the snare drums for the Union Army in the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that. That's a, Little tidbit, anyway. This podcast is brought to you by Noble <laughs> Exactly. Let's talk about Warby Parker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, what do we cover here? So, we're gonna wrap up high school. I want to ask you about. Uh, obviously, uh, this part I'll edit this out, but we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you about your first favorite concerts that you saw, and then the process of choosing a college. So, um. So, Joe, what was, like, a concert that you saw in high school that, like, or one of your first concerts that you saw that, like, really, like, knocked you out, like, really inspired you? Uh, I mean, there were so many. I yeah. feel really lucky. Or what are a few? Because like, I got to go see, I got to go see a lot of great guys before they passed or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, probably the first big show I saw was, I, me and my dad went to go see The Who. Mm-hmm. At, McNichols Arena and do Quadrophenia and that was was John Entwinsel still alive? yeah he wow. Thunderfingers yes Thunderfingers still yeah. there <laughs> still, still doing it and yeah. that, that was incredible and then the, I think their drummer was Zach Starkey yeah for that cool at that time yeah um, that's awesome and there were guys high-fiving my dad for bringing me to the Who show my dad was like no he <laughs> it's the other way around yeah I was the one bugging him about coming to oh, that's the great. but I mean my dad was great through all the high, you know, middle school and high school. I mean, yeah. He took us, you know, we saw Oasis in 1995 at the mm-hmm. height of their fame. Yeah. They were like the loudest band I've ever seen in my life. And we got to see a lot of great old people too, you know, saw Wilson Pickett. Yeah. Uh, Clarence Gatemouth Brown, uh, you know, Dick Dale. And so like, it was just constant constant seeing shows and stuff like did that. you see i'm not sure this was but somebody who was talking with we were talking about seeing billy preston with clapton and gad and nathan East. oh yeah i did saw that. that yeah, yeah. That was great. Yeah. And the I'm best part of that show was that. Billy Preston. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, on that, I actually own that DVD and the only song I ever watch is Will It Go Around in Circles. Yeah. I want to say when I saw him, that's the way God planned it. But Oh, it, cool, man. It was, that was the coolest part of the show. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Booker T. Oh, Booker T, man. Yeah, he's still doing it. Yeah, he's still he's around. Still... He was just at Johnny D's. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. No um, longer. No longer uptown. No longer, yeah, no longer uptown. It's going to be a fancy coffee place in about eight minutes. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so um, so when you were considering colleges, did you know going into into it the pro- search process that you wanted to major in music, or were you entertaining some other ideas? You know, I did, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Like, I I don't. Know, it was kind of the only choice. Like, yeah. It was like this is what I'm going to do. And I, I think I saw something on 
CNN like a piece about Berkeley, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's where I want to go. Like mm. I, I, literally off seeing a yeah thirty minute special about Berkeley or yeah. whatever. It was like yeah, this looks like paradise. <laughs> yeah, little do you know. <laughs> so yeah, so moving into that, so so you moved to Boston to go to Berkeley, and what did you major in? Aside from having a good time, yeah. um, I guess I would have been pro music. I never finished. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so I was like the major, no major. Major, major, no major. So, okay. So, so how long were you actually there for? Technically, I think I was there for about four years, but I, I dropped out once uh-huh. and went and started working at Newberry Comics. Okay. And then I went back. And then that's around the time when I went back, the Click Five and all that sort of stuff was starting to form. Okay. And then so once it, I mean, you know, this was definitely a bad idea. And if I could go back now, I would go back and be a much better student than I was. Sure. Um, So let's, let's go back to, go back to Berkeley for a second. So um, when you were there, you know, like, Berkeley's a great place for obviously studying, making great connections, and like playing with tons of different musicians. And, um, like, what was your approach to it? Were you like, actually, that's not what I want to say. I'll edit this out later. So I want to ask you, um, like, so what was one of the the best things you got out of going to Berkeley? I think meeting people because yeah. it took everyone. I felt like it took everyone everyone that may have been a big fish in a little pond like Denver or something where it was like not not saying I'm any sort of great musician or anything but it took you know the people that I felt like they were really serious about doing music yeah a lot of them wound up there and so that's where you'd met like-minded people that was like want to have a band or absolutely and I think that was Still, the goal at Berkeley was getting a band together. To yeah, so that's interesting to me. So you were so you so arriving at Berkeley, you kind of had it on your mind that you wanted to put a band together from people that you met at school, like that was outside of the school, like mm-hmm. not an ensemble, like not associated with Berkeley, but just like like a new band. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, well, I I guess although, I guess it kind of happened accidentally. Yeah. Like so. What so what what was that experience like for you? Like what happened? This, this kid came to me. Um, I, I don't know how he found me. Jesse Terry. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm putting this band thing together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, oh, well, that, I just kind of on a whim. And yeah. So I did that. And, which the interesting thing about that is Kevin Rice was the drummer who's gone yeah. on to be. A, yeah. It's great. I mean, Kevin's like a. World Always class. on tour, yeah. world class drummer, studio drummer, drummer, yeah. And then the other was this girl, Natalie Stovall, was in the band, mm-hmm. and she's gone on to be this kind of big country act. She's the blonde singer, yeah, country singer, great fiddle singer. player, yeah, yeah, fiddle player, right, yeah. And so she's doing her thing, yeah. You know, and then, and then Ben Romans was in it, mm-hmm. and that's was kind of the genesis of of the Click Five sort of thing. Kind of oh, okay. came out of out of that okay you guys meeting that band so um 
so yeah, so let's, um, I want to stop here for a second and think about anything else I want to ask you about Berkeley before we get into that, the click five form. So, um, major, all right. So, uh, so who were some of your most influential or favorite teachers that you had that you connected with at Berkeley? I really enjoyed my private instructor, Kurt Shoemate, mm -hmm. which I, he still might be there. I, I know Kurt. He's, I think he's still there. We we played in a group. That's where I met you. Was I played in your like guitar lab with Kurt Schumann. Oh, right. Like it was like me and a bass player, Kurt and six and guitar six players. Guitar players, <laughs> classic Berkeley. It was amazing, yeah. But it was great because I got to play with Kurt and I met you and um, yeah, and I actually was. Uh, well, I'll edit this out later because no one else gives a fuck. But the job that I got hired, Matt, Matty P and I both got jobs at this place, the Winchester Community Music School, where Verge works. Yeah, yeah. And Kurt is very involved with that school. Okay. So we, Didn't I still see him. did he go off to like the University of Minnesota or something for a while? or It could be, but he's around, I see him, he's around Boston. I saw him shortly before I left. Like, oh, really? I ran into him on the street. And... Oh, yeah, he told me that. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, he was, he was my favorite. Oh, perfectly. Cool. I mean, just, I feel like, and I have no idea why, they just kind of placed me with him. Yeah. But I mean, at the time, I was like, you know, I want to be like Kenny Burrell. And yeah. So yeah. that's why they stuck me with him. Yeah. And I, I feel like when they do the teacher thing yeah. at Berkeley and you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like they match you with someone that kind of, I feel like Kurt's a very kind of soft-spoken guy. And like, yeah. So I think that's why I wound I think, up with him. I think of. one of the best things about some of the teachers at Berkeley is that, and, and the best thing about studying with someone who is a, or studying at Berkeley is that is the idea of, is you get to study with a guy like Kurt and it's like it's obvious that like you know they're hiring there's all these like famous people who are teaching there now and that's there's a major plus side to that but there's also some downsides to that which is that number one they're not around a lot mm -hmm. you know and that number two like um, well I would say the the biggest positive for studying with somebody like Kurt is that like Kurt's a master guitar player and he's a great teacher and like he can really show you like the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. and like at the end of the day he just like packs up his guitar and like goes back to his house and like you know yeah. that's it but he's like he's there's like I had a teacher John Hazil it's like who I'd never heard of then they assigned me to him and he's like showed me the fundamentals of drumming like in such a deep way um and uh but he's not a guy that like is famous or yeah. like any of that stuff but um John Stevens too I don't know if you remember I don't know him he was like Mr. Beetle guy. Oh, okay. Cool. And he was in the songwriting department. Um, but I remember I had a couple of classes with him, like, you know, like music of the Beatles and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Did he have some good insight into like, I'm assuming by that point you were like George Harrison obsession was full blown kind of, would you say? Oh, yeah. 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 And this is like, because I'd kind of started with the Beatles and then left it went into blues land a little bit right. and then came all the way back to yeah Beatles sort of so so um so yeah so let's talk a little bit about how the click five got formed so you met Ben Romans who played keyboard and wrote songs for the click five um you met him in through the Jesse Terry band or although yeah. the, it was the Jesse Terry band and we changed the name to Oscar Bravo which is like the Okay, and Ethan was in that too. Okay, and via Ben, like Ben had met Ethan, mm -hmm. and Ethan 
dropped out of Berkeley and went back to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then Ben called. We we needed a new bass player because our bass player was splitting for New York or mm-hmm. something yeah. was going on. Um, he's at, He was a great bass player too. Adam Countryman. I don't know if you mm, I don't know him. Um, and he's gone on to be very successful hmm. in music. He's like the music director at some huge church down in Houston, Texas. Cool. Um, and But anyways, so then Ethan came back up and that was kind of the the start of the click five i guess okay so you guys got together and did you start like writing songs or like what was the process like at first i mean i feel like it kind of came together i mean honestly how it came together yeah like how did it come together like so i mean so we like i said we can edit this out so like we can just talk uh, so straight so basically like what I'm getting like so for the way it came together is Ethan Ben and I were in this band with Jesse Terry yeah and we got on the heavy rotation showcase or whatever okay so he, so so heavy rotation is a record label that's with run Berkeley, with yeah in Berkeley okay which I think they still do okay um and so uh we played this showcase. Um, and there were some other great bands on there, like Apollo Sunshine. I yeah. Oh uh, yeah, definitely great band. And they just blew the roof off the place. Like we yeah. were terrible. So you were on a showcase with Apollo Sunshine and yeah, okay. And I I want to say like uh, Saint Vincent was on it. Like okay, I, it was like one of those kind of crazy. Um. And anyways, like, a day or two after, Jeff Dornfeld, I don't know if you know Jeff. No, I don't know. But he's the head of the music to business department at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And he had Ethan and I in to come meet with him. Yeah. And he said, well, there's this guy there that saw you guys, and he's putting this thing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, Wayne Sharp. Yeah. Um, and I remember we kind of... I remember Ethan and I kind of scoffing at the whole idea of it. Like, you know, this guy just wants Ethan and I for this band. Like, yeah. what about that? What about, you know, whatever. Right. And so that, that that's where it started. And we went and met with Wayne. Yeah. Who at the time was managing like Branford Marsalis and mm-hmm. Harry Connick Jr. Was he managing Paul Stanley? He had worked with Kiss. Okay. Yeah. In the 80s. Okay. And and he went and kind of gave us this whole spiel, which, you know, he wants to put together this power pop, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess boy band sort of thing yeah. where everyone's playing their real instruments. And I would say he had a very distinct vision of it, but we also had a very kind of distinct... Like he kind of pitched it to us and... And I remember Ethan and I walking out of the meeting going, well, we can cross that one off the list. Yeah. I, I remember, like, very vividly yeah. turning to Ethan and going, well, I guess we can cross that one off yeah. the list. Little did I know that would be, like... That's a huge gig, yeah. Like, you know, probably one of the most important moments in my life. Yeah. Um, and so, I think we then went and talked uh, with Jeff Dornfeld again about... He's mm-hmm. like, listen, guys, 
an opportunity like this isn't going to come around. This may be, this may be your own. The, this might be the opportunity. Yeah. Anything happens for you. Yeah. And so I remember it was around. It was like uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, two thousand three, and I went back to Denver, and we we got this like terrible blizzard like sounded like four feet mm-hmm. it's like stuck inside mm-hmm. for you know three days or something yeah and i remember it was at right after i'd had this meeting with wayne i remember talking to my parents and right doing kind of a lot, a lot of more thinking about it and like and same thing ethan had gone home for spring break right and the same thing happened and we got back and we we're like well maybe we should see what this is all about yeah maybe yeah we can make this work out and, yeah and like i said wayne had a very distinct version of how we want you know we're gonna go get some 17 year old drummer and, but we were like no you should we should let's do it with this kid joey's air like right he plays like john bonham and looks like dennis wilson yeah. you know yeah. uh you know and then the like wayne originally wanted it to all be you know outside songs and yeah and we were very much like no yeah. we need to get a songwriter in the band so Ben was in Nashville right. at the time, and we got Ben back to Boston uh-huh. to kind of be the the songwriter sure. in the band. Yeah, um, and so that that was really how it all came together. So even though it was put together, right, it was very much. So it's not, there was some negotiation. It it sounds like yes, yeah. It was like so you arrived at an agreeable. If we're going to do this, yeah, like, you know. We want to be able to pick who's going to be in the band. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. And so, you know, so I, what I remember from kind of being around the scene at that time is that I was playing in a band called The Sugar Dips ben. with Ben Romans, keyboard, uh, Steve Ducart, and Matt Penn. Yeah. And sometimes a uh, oh, great bass player from New York, Jamie Bishop on bass. Um, and we were like doing stuff like, playing in front of you guys at like the paradise front room and like with so um i'm curious like where that fits in the timeline so like you put the band together with wayne and then you were like you were basically playing like little local shows around boston were you like rehearsing a set or what were you doing then yeah i think that was like wayne's big thing was like none of and grant none of this stuff holds true today like everything's changed right like um, but he was like, you guys just need to rehearse. Like, there's no tomorrow. We're going to play every show we can get. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, or yeah. in Dracut, or in yeah. where you're going to go out and you're going to play those shows, even if it's in front of, you know, two people. Right. The You're going to get so much more experience by playing live. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, I, I think, I guess the lineup was probably finalized maybe summer of summer of 04 kind of like yeah. everything was kind of in place and that's when we were just we were doing the you know I mean Wayne obviously had right. a lot of connections in Boston and stuff right. like that so we got the residency at the Paradise right lounge. and that's right exactly and so we were doing that every week so one thing that I remember is that, I, well, maybe I, my memory is incorrect, but I just remember like we do, doing that residency with you guys or whatever. And then like all of a sudden 
you know, somehow you got hooked up for like this gig at like on like the Hat Shell on Boston in mm-hmm. Boston, uh, and and I remember like seeing a picture of that, and it was like you guys on stage. It was just like thousands of people. Like it was maybe a radio festival or mm-hmm. something. Um, but I just remember Kiss thinking, like, yeah, exactly. You yeah. went from like you know Paradise Lounge, which is in Boston. That's like a solid gig, you know, to yeah. like whoa, all the way up to like big jump pretty quickly. Like, did that is that what it felt like to you? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty crazy, and that was definitely, I feel like, a gig that turned the tide and yeah. everything. Like, that that really got the ball rolling. Um, we'd been recording, we got hooked up with Mike Deneen yeah. and the whole Q-Division thing. Now, so who made that connection? Wayne actually did. Okay, yeah. And and that was the other thing, is we, we were rehearsing with Mike quite a bit. Um, like, Mike would come to rehearsal. And just listen and give notes or... But he, like, taught us how to rehearse. Yeah. You know, like, I'd never thought of things like... Like, his thing was, like, come in the room, don't say a word, play your 30 or 45-minute set, don't stop. Yeah. Don't, if someone fucks up, don't don't stop and, you know, correct it. Just go blaze through it. And then when yeah. you get done, talk about it a little bit, and then jump right back in. Yeah, and do it again. And do yeah. it again. Yeah. And we would do that, you know, four or five times a night every yeah. day for yeah. months, you yeah. know, over at the Sound Museum off yeah. North Beacon Street. Sound Museum. Right guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so anyways, we did four songs with Mike, all of which were masters, which wound up being used mm-hmm. for our first release on Atlantic but mm-hmm. they were they were made with the intent that they were ready to roll right. ready to be on the radio so um so, Wayne had a friend Kiss 108 yeah and so what was and, was this, and Just the Girl wound up on right. their local like they had like a local show and I think it got a couple you know like in the world of pop radio then you know like to get spins was a huge deal and, right so we got a couple spins and then they invited us on to that show yeah and there was a junior A&R uh, guy there this guy Dave Rocco mm-hmm. who actually like now is a high up guy at Spotify mm-hmm. and he he's like junior A&R for Columbia or something uh, or Epic and he got the ball rolling with like because afterwards it was kind of like pandemonium Right. Autograph thing or whatever. Right. Uh, and and that's when we started showcasing for labels. And we probably, I feel like that show would have been, I think July or August. Right. And we had a record deal by October. Right. So, and you, so you already had the batch done. So, and Just the Girl was in that first batch. Mm-hmm. And that song was, was that... Is it Justin Schlesinger? Adam Schlesinger. Adam Schlesinger. Right, he wrote that song. Um, so that was in the first batch. Were there any like Ben songs or like Ethan's or any other? Click? Catch your wave. Was Catch, that batch. and that's a Ben song, right? Yeah, Ben and I wrote that. Ben one. and you wrote, yeah. Um, and then I think Pop Princess was also in that first batch. Mm. Um, that's a good song. And those all wound up on. And then we did a cover of "I Think We're Alone Now." Oh yeah, which didn't wind up on the first record should have 
I think it eventually got released somewhere. Yeah. It was, it was a good cover. So, was, so you did a batch, and then you kind of shopped around and showcased, and yeah. then once you had the deal like locked down, then you went back and finished the full length. Is that mm-hmm. pretty much happened? Okay, cool. So yeah, we spent like October to December doing the record. Doing the record. You did that at Q Division. Yeah. In Boston. Um, so Mike Deneen produced that record. Yeah. And uh, so. How long was the period between? Did that come out pretty much right away? Did they want to get it right out, or did they like wait till the spring, or what was that time on like? We we went on tour with Ashley Simpson mm-hmm. in February of '05. Okay. And we had like a like the record was supposed to come out. I think like uh, it's like August twenty sixth or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the single came out, and the single started doing really well Mm -hmm. I think it peaked at uh, it peaked at 11 Mm -hmm. pop charts or whatever yeah Um, yeah so that's kind of how the right so what we went on tour with Ashley Simpson and it started to roll doing radio promo and all those sorts of things right so what kind of venues were you playing with the on the Ashley Simpson tour um, big theaters. Big theater. like Orpheum in Boston. Right. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like what your daily schedule was like on a tour like that, where you're doing, you're playing a gig and you're also doing the radio promo. So were you guys all in one bus together? We weren't on a bus. You then. weren't on a bus then. We were in a minivan and a box truck. Oh wow! So Steve Ducard, I assume, was driving that minivan. I drove the box. You truck. drove the box. Okay, cool. And oh. I, I drove it like some like thirty-five thousand miles. Oh god. Tour. So okay, so you're driving, so you're not in a bus, so you're playing these opening spots that are probably like forty minutes, just approximately. Thirty. Thirty. Okay. Yeah. And then, so after the show, do you just go right back to the hotel, or do you have to like stand around and sign? Yeah, generally we wouldn't. I I don't feel like on that tour we had to drive overnight too much. There were a couple overnight drives that were killers. Yeah. But you like if it was a long, if it was like. San Francisco to Seattle, we'd have a day off yeah. in between the two, so right. we could make it to Seattle for the show. Right, and so, and so would you have to get up? And you, you mentioned doing the radio, so you're would you be doing the radio? Like those are pretty early there was mornings, a lot right? Of, yeah. So it was a lot of. I mean, there was that where you had to get to the next place, so you could do the radio in the do morning. Radio visit in the morning. Right. And we so, had one. We wore suits. Yeah. But we only had like one suit at the time, so you know the suit would still be wet from, from the, night, the before. night before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'd show up to these radio stations soaking wet. Yeah, it's, I mean it was. What time is this radio thing happening? I feel like. This... I mean, some of them, you'd be there at six a.m. Yeah, maybe even earlier. Some oh, of them, man. You know. yeah. So, um, so you do the Ashley Simpson tour. You're out there. You're pushing the single. You're doing the radio. You're playing in front of bigger audiences that are spreading out the single. So um, that's not, so that's the winter. And then, and you said the album. The first album came out August twenty something. I think it was the twenty sixth. Maybe right. I'm wrong. Yeah. So I wish like if Ben was here, he'd be. Like, I'm sure. No. Yeah. So I guess my so like was there. So then that maybe leads it's in, August sixteenth. There's a six in there. <laughs> something like that. So if. So what was like, so you're basically building the thing. Uh, I'll probably edit this out right here because I'm trying to form a thought. I'm gonna, I, what I want to ask you is like, um, 
like so you're building momentum in the winter like opening up from this ashley simpson tour like when do you feel like that when does it really feel like that's starting to pay off and like you're playing bigger venues or bigger tours or that kind i'd of thing? say within two shows of the ashley simpson tour oh really it went bananas wow and it was like beatlemania there was yeah the, the gibson amphitheater here in la um the first show was in anaheim and that was kind of so-so um and uh and then we did the gibson here and we would do this thing where after we would play we'd go sign autographs mm -hmm. we had like a three song sampler that mm -hmm. we were giving away at the show and we got mobbed in la like just like pressed up against the wall yeah. and like people just screaming and right and the, all the record label people are there so they're just like yeah they're just seeing dollar signs or whatever right. um, um and side note about that yeah I, mean, I don't know if you, yeah anyways the production manager on that tour was this guy money lee wilkes who actually just passed away like two or three days ago hmm. um and he was like this world-renowned sound guy hmm. like just uh like was on the nevermind tour in oh, New wow. was front of house for the nevermind for tour. yeah wow. like was front of house for prince the replacements like uh just like legendary sound guy and so he was the production manager on that tour but he was a huge power pop fan. Okay. And he absolutely loved us. Like, cool. I remember, you know, because like the Ashley Simpson thing was like the super pop, yeah. Whatever. And we show up and we, you know, we just got done making a record where Mike Deneen was teaching us to turn all the amps up to right. whatever. So we show up for the tour and we've got these huge Marshall stacks. And, right. And we're just. You're ready to rock. Cranking. And I remember he he wound up doing sound for us. Mm -hmm. He handed us his resume after the first show. And like, okay. And he was like, you know, I'll do sound for you guys. And I honestly think that had a large... That that helped us out a ton, having a guy that could make us sound, you know, that yeah. live. We right. had to mix us. Because we had Ducart, who right. had never... Right. Who was mixing the Kendall, Kendall Cafe. Cafe. And not... Steve went on to become a great right front of house guy too. Yes, but at the time he was he sure. didn't know how to mix a right. theater or whatever. So Monty right. took Steve under his wing. And nice, uh, but yeah, Monty came up to us like after the first show and he goes, "I love you guys because you play fucking well." This is whole thing. Awesome. So I want to ask you about like for you as a musician, like. How long was there a period of transition where you, you, it, you had to get comfortable playing on the on the big stage and like like I'm curious like it like you know it's such a big difference when it's playing a room like the Paradise Front Room to playing a room like I don't know like the Orpheum Theater or bigger where like maybe your people are using in your monitors or like it's a whole different monitoring system and like a bigger stage and it's a different band vibe on stage you know when all of a sudden like if I'm used to being three feet away from the bass player and now the bass player is 25 feet away from me, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so like I'm, but also like you guys are at a point in your career where you're getting this ball rolling where like, you know, there's not a lot of room for error. Like you got to go out and be killing every single night, you know? So, um, can you talk about like, was that a, like a little bit of a hard transition or you just kind of like have to deal with it and like, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, going from, you know, regular monitors to inner monitors was pretty crazy. Yeah. You know, and still to this day, I'm not a huge fan of the inners. Inners. Um, But, uh, you know, we also had a lot of, I'd say a lot of, like, that, it was a main, like, you know, we were thinking about stuff like that. Right. Thinking about the show. Yeah. You know, like... And I think that that was also, you know, something that maybe you don't necessarily think about a lot. But it's like, you gotta put on a show. Yeah. Like, I mean, especially if you're trying to do something that, yeah, you know, whatever that's directed towards a teenage audience or, or whatever. Sure. In, in anything. Yeah. You should think about a show, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and how a show flows. And so we were studying stuff like that all the time, with like watching different, you know, DVDs of bands we love. Yeah. So, so who who are you watching, man? What are some? I mean, I spent a lot of time with Frank Champion and Ben Rowan's watching DVDs. Yeah. Like, what I mean, they're... obviously, you know, Ben was watching Kiss stuff. Yeah. All that sort of stuff, you know. But I mean, even stuff like Tom Petty. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, the Cars or uh, you know, even the Beatles and yeah, and just the idea of how a show should be constructed. Right. Know? Like how there have to be different moments and different things happen here and sure. there and so like you're not just going to get up and start playing you know? right right like, everything was kind of right thought of i guess and did you guys get into you have, i assume you have the same set you play like if you're playing like a tight 30 minute set like you never take you like for that tour you'd play the same set list every night mm-hmm. solid down. yeah um yeah so Pre- oh, yeah pretty much i mean we much. might swap in a song here or there like right like I remember we used to do we used to open with like Baba O'Reilly or oh cool uh, or like we would do Jump or something you know like nice. which for like an opening band is like it was a pretty good idea to come sure, out and yeah. like do something where it's kind of instrumental so that you may have not gotten a sound check that day so the right. front house guy can do a quick mix up yeah. and get things rocking before you really get into it sort of thing yeah. So, um, so when would you say like the click the click five thing like hit, what was like the highest high point for, for you guys in terms of like momentum and um, and I success mean, for the band? The click five kind of, you know had two two singers, yeah. so it kind of in essence it really was two different bands. I feel like right, and it, they yeah. had two very different career arcs. Like there was the first band, or you know, the first incarnation with Eric. Yeah which would you know we had our biggest success in america where we you know had the highest selling rock debut of 2005 mm-hmm. and, you know a, you know a single that nearly got into the top 10 right one hit wonder still but mm-hmm. you know i mean we played for the president that year yeah and, uh did the macy's parade yeah that's right i remember that uh like all sorts of just craziness stuff, like yeah. that conan o'brien and, yeah uh jim kimmel uh regis and kelly like all those were pretty high points sure and yeah obviously things didn't work out with the original singer right and uh it didn't work out with eric right um and then kyle came in and that was a whole different experience yeah. and like 
they both, I, you know, and with Kyle, it wound up being the band took off in Asia, mm-hmm. which it, it started with Eric, but it hadn't, it fully. Did you guys go over there with him? We went over once with Eric. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think some of the stuff, like Just the Girl had been a hit over there. and I think even Catch a Wave had been a hit in Singapore mm-hmm. and in Malaysia and maybe even Pop Princess had been somewhat of a hit or something. Um, but that was getting to the very kind of tail end of Eric being the band. Yeah. So then the next record came out and it exploded in Asia. So let's, why, why is that? How did that happen? I, I mean, I have no idea. I don't know why. Is it like, so, um, were you were on Atlantic, mm-hmm. right? So like, did they have, they must have a division over there, like, so were they just pushing the record or like how is there I think there was a certain amount of that like like Jenny was the big hit over there and it was a number one hit in six different countries yeah which says to me it was probably it was a hit song you know yeah and maybe I mean who knows like it could have I think there were lots of factors like Mm -hmm. that went into it I think I think it got pushed over there I think at the time we had a willingness to go over there, which, which now is like a commonplace. Like, yeah, Singapore is a tour stop now for right. every big act in the world. Back in two thousand six and two thousand seven, not a lot of you know bands from the United States went to Kuala Lumpur, yeah. Singapore, and Jakarta. Yeah. So we we spent a lot of time over there. You know, uh-huh. we did a promo tour. You know, uh, we opened for the Black Eyed Peas. Um, you know, while Kyle was in the band, I think we went over there five or six times, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, but then there were also things that were just completely random, like, like it had turned out, like, you know, Jenny was number one in the Philippines, and like, Jenny was like the number one name in the Philippines that year. So, so it's like just weird stuff right. that you're just like, well, I yeah. have no idea why that happened, but right. it did. And right. there you go. And so, so the, and the second record you, uh, what you did with Kyle, you also did that at Q division with mm-hmm. Mike Deneen. Right. And, um, so that record, did you tour in the States on that record? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. And then, um, and there was one more, you did one more record on the deal. Right. So. Not on Atlantic. How, not, how no, did that actually, work? Actually, that came out in America on Q Division's label. Oh, okay. But then it did come out. Hang on a second. Let me, let me, let me, I'm sorry. I want to, I want to, I want to hear about this, but I want to not say what I just said. Sorry. So, um, you did the, uh, so you did the second record with Mike Deneen at Q Division and that was also on Atlantic, right? Mm-hmm. And then what about, what was the name of the third record? TCV. Right. And then what, like, what was the deal with that record? Um, it was supposed to be our big follow-up to, to the, the second record. Yeah. And I, we definitely wanted to make, I think, our most musical record. And I think we probably did. Yeah. But I feel like we definitely... We maybe abandoned some of the things that people liked about us. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I go back and... I mean, I like all the records now, listening to them. Mm-hmm. But that was definitely... Like, musically my favorite record we yeah. ever did um, you know and like I, I remember we got 
we got a note from Al Cooper, mm-hmm. like that he sent to Mike Dean, being like, you know, you guys really did a great job on this one. Mm. I knew you guys had the potential to yeah. make a record like this. Yeah, and, you know, which it wound up being, you know, our least successful record. But I think, I think there were a lot of people, there were a lot of musician types that yeah wound up really liking. That it's definitely record. my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great record, man. Um, so. Uh, so we're going to pause here for a second and I just want to talk about, so what we're going to do is talk about, and you don't need, like, again, you don't need, don't, I'm going to ask you, but you don't need to say anything you don't want to say. I don't even know the answer to this question, but like, I want to just like wrap up this conversation on the quick five with like, um, our last gig Our. so here's the thing later, I'm going to come back and ask you about playing at the white house and about anchor Watt just for like a little short mm-hmm. clip. So we're going to like save that for later. But I want to like kind of just like wrap up the click five conversation. I don't need to talk about like, I don't really know. It's none of my business, like how the band stopped playing or what the fuck happened. But like, I don't really, I just want to wrap the conversation. There, you don't there need was to know why the band broke up. Yeah. Things had just run their course. Okay. Life gotten it in the way like so let, let me that's good that's a great answer let me just let me just set that up for you so i can edit it in later so um um so after the third record like was uh oh i don't want to say it was <laughs> it's gonna, oh god what I, all right so so after the last click five record like basically what like what brought about like the the winding down of the click five you know i think just life and general things like that like yeah. people we were we had all been a unit for so long. You yeah. Know, we all lived in a house together in yeah. Watertown, you know, a huge uh-huh. three-story house on Mount Auburn Street. And, you know, then life starts happening. And, yeah. You know, people start going, well, I don't want to live in Boston anymore. I'm going to... Yeah. yeah. And th- sure. not that there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, sure, just, yeah. I mean, I remember at the time, you may have been upset about things, but, like, now looking back on it, it was just kind of like, things just kind of went the way they went yeah it was it just kind of petered out and it wasn't it wasn't like we were ever in a huge fight or right started suing each other or like <laughs> yeah like it just was kind of like we got to a point where you know i think we kept trying to make things work and things just wouldn't nothing yeah. seemed to work right like everything you know and you can second guess everything now sure to like why this happened or that happened but you know just moved on from it sure well i have to say man i i think that when i think back on like my time in boston that i think that like one of my favorite periods ever was for the boston music scene was when you guys were playing at the the lizard probably like right at the end you did like a residency or something and like pohida and enough, like verge and was, like that was the everybody best that, and that was, was yeah I it was like, so much fun man i think we'd finally we'd, be, we'd finally become you know decent musicians or whatever and oh, like, right. or I think we've become a good band yeah whereas maybe when we started we weren't really a great band but I think we really got it together yeah I like that feeling of like I, I only I like you know like bands like Duke uh, excuse me Dennis Brennan's band or like the Giant Kings or like there's this band up in Gloucester called KGMB with Dan King and Dave Maddox and like when you get to go see a band, like a great band in a small space like the Lizard Lounge, it's like sitting next to like 
like a humming classic car you know what i mean it's like and you guys were definitely operating on that level which yeah. is always so cool to sit so close to it and just be like feel the energy from it but um anyway cool man so let's move on from the click five so the click five thing wraps up and uh so you stayed in boston for a couple years and what were you doing you were playing some gigs i mean we played some gigs together and like playing gigs i wound up on the Miranda Cosgrove thing. Oh, yeah. Which was a direct that what came out of the with that, that, So, yeah, did they basically hire you guys as a rhythm section or something? Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. Um, so we did that. So she was like a singer from L.A. or somewhere? She had a TV show called iCarly. Okay. Which was like a big Nickelodeon show. And they hired Ben to be her music director. And oh, okay. Ben's whole thing at the time, uh, like Miley Cyrus wound up using American Hi-Fi as right. her band, which are all Boston guys. Right. Stacey Jones, mm-hmm. Jamie Aronson, Kate Hanley was in... Was Mike in that band? Mike was in Letters to Cleo, but oh, not, okay. in not in Hi-Fi. But like, oh, right, Hi-Fi, yeah. Right. But so okay. like, Ben kind of sold them on the whole, like, why don't you just have a band be her band, rather than putting a band together. So we did... We probably did that for two years. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then were you what she got in a bus crash? Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. Were you were you out with her when that yeah. happened? So what happened with that? Um, we weren't in her bus. We there were like three buses. There was like a band bus. Yeah. There was her bus, which was like the star bus. Um, I don't know how much I can actually say about this. Okay, you don't need to talk. Uh, we don't need to talk. Basically, about it. Uh, her bus got in an accident, got the car accident on I seventy. We were traveling from Columbus, Ohio to, I think, St. Louis or something. Yeah. And um, a tractor trailer, again, I don't know how much of this. Yeah, sure. Because I think there were, like, lawsuits and all sorts cool. of things. We can, yeah, I'll but edit this out. But. Anyways, her bus, tractor trailer, jackknifed and fell over on the into the median, and the trailer pins were sticking out. And her bus came along doing 70 miles an hour or whatever. And this is where no one, I don't know what happened. Like, did the driver fall asleep? Was he looking away? Whatever. Anyways, the driver hit the... Thing head on, pretty much. Head on. Um, But it turned, he actually wound up, he did the right thing. Like, he didn't try to stop. He didn't try to swerve because he would have flipped the bus. bus, Everyone would have died. Um... In the trailer, the whatever stand, you know, came into the front of the bus and sliced both arms to the bone. Oh my god! He survived and kept both of his arms. And uh, Miranda's uh, security guard at the time was a uh, he was like an ex Navy SEAL, so he just went into like yeah, uh, life saving mode, life saving mode, and saved the driver's life. Um, but she broke her ankle. She was in the back, in a, in in a star bus. Yeah, in the like bedroom and bedroom back, right. in the back. Yeah, which here's a lesson for you: is never, if you're sleeping on a bus, mm-hmm. don't fall asleep anywhere but your bunk. Like there's a reason that the bunks are in the middle of the bus, right? And that there's not a lot of headroom because if right. something happens, and say you fly up and hit the ceiling that's right. only a foot above you. Right. The, the, there's nowhere to go, but she was in the back with her mom. Oh, yeah, so she's on a bed. And just went flying oh. around the 
Anyways, I don't think you can. I won't use that at all. Use any of that. Okay, cool. <laughs> so the Miranda Carrasco break <laughs> came to an end. And so I'm not gonna laugh about it, but I'll just say for my, so I can edit this in later. So the Miranda Cosgrove thing, there was a bus accident, and that gig basically went away. Um, I shouldn't say that because it sounds like she died. So the Miranda Cosgrove thing. Wait, wait, uh, well, I mean, we did a couple things after that. Oh, so so at, so let me say this. So after the bus accident, um, like we uh, went and played the Bahamas. You played a couple more gigs with yeah. her, and then and then, but she that, just that kind of up. didn't want to do music anymore. Hmm. You know? Cool. So. And uh, so then, so you were still hanging around Boston playing some gigs, and then you moved, so you moved to L.A. for the first time, were you, right? Do we need to talk about that? Wait, hang on a second. I need to get my thoughts together. So you moved to L.A., I gotta get this right. You moved to L.A. once with Romans for like nine months, right? Or something? Yeah. We don't need to talk about that. I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to lump it all together yeah. if that's cool. So um, I basically, I didn't really, like, I mean, I moved out here, but I was... Going back and forth a lot. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't think I was ready to leave yet. You know. Okay. I sure. mean, sometimes, you know, a move feels like a good thing, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. So. But um, by the second time, I moved, you were ready to go. It was the best thing I ever did in my life. Well, let's take it from there. So. Uh, so can you talk about why you wanted to come to LA? Like you were wrapping things up and bought. Like oh, I don't want to say that. Goddamn. Hang on a second. Sorry. Um, so can you talk a little bit about? Uh, I think your choice become, to move to LA it become time I, and it was nothing against Boston right and I still miss Boston immensely like, mm-hmm. to this day like certainly you know some of my best friends still live there and I miss the music scene there which definitely does not exist out here that kind of Cambridge really I mean not that I've found yeah maybe it's just people don't go out yeah as much or whatever but um it was just time for a change. It just becomes stale. Like, yeah, my band had just broken up. Yeah, or the Click Five had, I think, officially called it quits in December of uh, uh, two thousand twelve, and I moved out here in two thousand thirteen, January two thousand thirteen. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe there was some kind of like finality of like, okay, the Click Five's right. over. It's time to right. move on with my life, and I think. You know, all my friends, there was like a huge migration of people from New York, mm-hmm. like Ethan. Yeah. So many of my friends left the East Coast and moved out here um, around that same time. And so it just seemed like the right time to go. Because mm-hmm. it was like, well, all these people I've been friends with and been playing music with for the last, you know, 12 years are all moving out to LA so I probably should do that too and I wanted to you know like I said sometimes in life you just have to shake things up yeah sure again it wound up being wound up being the best move I ever made yeah like met my wife yeah you know the weather's great (laughs) you know but (laughs) also just like music jobs I mean yeah yeah it just so many weird things happen out here that Again, no offense, I'm not... Yeah, yeah, Boston. not at all. Not maybe, at all, man. Maybe it's because I wasn't good enough to hack into no. Boston or whatever. <laughs> but, like, random things come up out here. Like, you know, I wound up, you know, going to Kuwait with a Kuwaiti artist and playing some weird, you know, 
album release party in Kuwait City that you just go, how did I find myself here? You know, like just, rank, you know, playing, uh, playing on the Ellen Show with Celine yeah. Dion, like just weird. What the what the hell happened with that man? Like you were well, playing I bass. Say it's one of my finest musical moments. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever mimed on TV. But so you're. How did how did that give me all take me all the way back? Like who called you for that? Um, I think it was actually Wayne again. Really? Yeah. Okay. And he was like, like her band, like she was releasing a new album, and you know her bands in or she's does the Vegas thing. You're right. But like her, she's had like the same band for like thirty years or something. Yeah. Like she's been super loyal to her her band and whatever but anyways some of the band like the drummer and bass player mm-hmm. it's in LA for helicopters uh, some of the band was back in Montreal or whatever and they needed the they needed someone to sit there and play right or look like they're playing bass and drums so it wound up being Kevin Rice was the drummer okay. yeah I sat there with Ethan's bass <laughs> Like I was so you got bass. paid like union scale for that yeah. or something? and it's still like, I mean, it hasn't in a while, but you'd get, when they'd replay it, you'd get some check from SAG yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a weird, that was a weird one. So like so that, right. stuff like that presents itself in LA. Right. I feel like a lot more than anywhere else. Oh yeah, definitely. Maybe Nashville, the same sort right. of thing happens. Yeah. Really? You know. Um, and so, currently, what do you got going on? Like, can you talk a little about? Uh, like, oh god, sorry, man. Hold on, focus. Um, so, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, Grand Canyon and what you guys are up to? Well, yeah. So, so I started a new band, Grand Canyon. It's kind of been the overarching theme in my with my music life has mm-hmm. been putting bands together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's my new project mm-hmm. with. A lot of old friends from Boston, you know, some new friends. Uh, You know, it's very much West Coast, Eagles, Big Harmonies, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of country, not too country. A little bit petty? A little little bit, a lot bit petty. A lot bit petty, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but I'm really excited about it. I mean, we're, we're finishing our first album right now. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Joe Giese, man, it's so good to see you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. Thank you, Andy. Good to see you, too. This episode was produced and edited by me, Andrew Jones. The theme song was a collaboration between Matt Pendergast and myself. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in the podcast app and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation to this podcast on our homepage at www.andrewhalljones.com. You'll see a link for A Musician's Life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at amusiciansLifePodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at MusicianLifePod. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. And remember, time with music is time well spent.